0: welcome to new legacy radio with christine erickson our weekly programming serves the growing global community of people without children we also inform practitioners and institutions who influence policy organizational culture and media narratives about issues of concern to our community now on to our show
1: welcome everyone and thank you for tuning in to new legacy radio i'm christine erickson your host and the founder of new legacy institute which brings you new legacy radio um today i'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation we're going to be talking about something very um near and dear to our our community and beyond Um, All communities who have been marginalized or feel excluded and you know given the years of conversations about work the um, workplace inclusion diversity and equity um, this is going to be a a new conversation for some about how to look at dei or edi and beyond from more of a whole perspective and i think it it will benefit anyone listening, whether you are are an employer, an employer, an HR practitioner, um, anyone in an organization who is looking at these things or who wants to, and really um, is looking for a great framework to do that. I, um, I'm I feel honored today to have our two guests. Um, Dr. Robin Hadley and Dr. Crystal Wilkinson. um, Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Um, If you don't know who they are, um, I'm going to share a bit about their bios. Um, Both of them have contributed greatly to research both with respect to our community, People Without Children, um, and beyond that, which you'll hear more about today. So it is a, it is really special to have them here and together and to look at the new work that they have done. Um, Dr. Crystal Wilkinson is an associate professor in human resource management, and she's based at the Center for Decent Work and Productivity at Manchester Metropolitan University in the UK. Um, I love even the name of that center. I was <laughs> like, oh, wow, to do such focused work. That's brilliant. Thank you. You know, wow. Um, her research focuses on work life interface, women's health, and well being at work. Recent research projects have focused on solo living staff, complex fertility journeys, including employees going through fertility treatment, experiencing pregnancy loss, and involuntary childlessness mental health in pregnancy and post-birth, and women's health more broadly, and employment. She has published in leading academic journals and is co-editor of the 2024 book, Work-Life Inclusion, Broadening Perspectives Across the Life Course, um, which is published by Emerald Publishing. And as I said, um, there's a lot to cover today, um, given just that. And I would like to introduce Dr. Robin Hadley, who is very known to our community and beyond as a foremost expert on male childlessness. And um, Rob has also contributed to this book that Crystal is the co-editor of, and we are going to hear more from him later about what he has focused on specifically for childless men in the workplace regarding inclusion. Um, Robin is uh, childless by circumstance, and as I said, a leading um, expert on male childlessness. His research has been widely published in international and national media. And his book, "How Is a Man Supposed to Be a Man: Male Childlessness, a Life Course Disrupted," has received uh, excellent reviews. I would say an ongoing, amazing. I I think um, if you don't know about this book, or if this is something that you would like to look into further, this is basically the resource, um, you know. And it's it's really humbling to see. Someone in our community go to such lengths to, you know, um, not only honor their own experience but to do something that impacts so many of us. So thank you for that, Rob. Um, yeah, what can I say? He um, he has done so much, and if you go and read both of their bios, you will learn much more about them. And Rob, I always love how your bio has um, how where you're from and how you started. I I appreciate that. So do take, do take a look at that. And, you know, um, as I shared what Crystal covers alone in her research is, uh, you know, the breadth of it is impressive and it relates to so many things that we talk about on this show and that so many people live every day. So again, welcome. Thank you. And I, you know, I, Crystal, I me- I mentioned your book that was recently published and you know, maybe we can start with how did, you, how did you come to the point of this book now? Um, your background and, you know, your work focus is, is so, has such a breadth without being broad in the sense of, you know, not being in depth, which is what I always find so amazing when, when I read anything that you put out. And, um, yeah, I'm just so curious about that journey and, and your, your insights as you have, um, you know, evolved in your own work.
2: Thank you. Um, I'll take out, a leaf out of Rob's book um, and then just sort of say <laughs> where I came from. <laughs> so my background was um, operational human resource management. I worked as a human resource management professional um, and hand, hand hold my hands up, you know, none of the issues that I really research now were on my radar. And that's because they're not in the dominant narratives from our, you know, or haven't been historically, from the textbooks, from the courses that we've studied, from employment legislation in the UK, um, from our professional body. You know, there's these these issues that are just kind of overlooked, silenced, not on people's radars. Um, So when I transitioned into academia, my PhD was on um, solo living managers and professionals who um, don't have children because um, I I was interested in work-life balance, work-life conflict, work-life interface. But all of the narrative in the academic literature and in organisation policy was a very, very narrow definition of life. And it was work family. And it was work family, i.e. parenting of small children. Um, And so there's there's a lot that was just kind of missing. And in the years that have intervened, it has uh, expanded a bit. We're seeing more about care responsibilities and people looking after older or sick relatives. You know, there, there are some, some other kind of um, elements that are broadening but it is still predominantly when we look at the literature and we look at organisation policy and practice focused on parenting children um we did we did another study in the pandemic of people who live alone and don't have children um and there was a lot that came out then just around organisation practices adaptations to the pandemic that were just not thinking about people other than parents of young children um and kind of the, the needs of one group you know, by catering for the needs of one group, you can sometimes forget or overlook that there are, you know, there are different people in in, in the organisation. It sometimes kind of their needs are being sacrificed. Um, so my research since then has kind of spanned it spanned other topics that are really, um, again, just ignored. I've been I've been talking about absent narratives. Um, so leading on from people who live alone, um, I was interested in relationship formation, trying for, for a family before you get to the point of having children. So realise realised that there's no one really looking at fertility tri- tests, fertility treatments, pregnancy loss. There's more more, more is coming on, on these topics, but at the time, not a lot. Um, and perinatal mental health is my other specialism. Um, because, again, you know, we know a lot about maternity, but not about the complications of maternity, which can include pregnancy loss, but also mental illness. So uh, the book really is, um, I I do try and do a lot with my research about informing policy and practice and working with organisations and the book came about from that really, that you know, what can we do that's a joint academic and practitioner focused piece that's tapping into these some some of these silenced, overlooked, taboo, um, ignored groups and issues um, and I've only researched um, a, tiny, a tiny proportion of those, so we wrapped it in lots of other people across the life course. Um, and the idea is that it's, it's looking at a combination of the work-life interface, well-being at work, and equality and diversity and inclusion, um, right from kind of students balancing work and study all the way through to um, sort of re- complicated retirement transition, because a straightforward retirement is not kind of the norm anymore. So that was
1: a huge one yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Crystal. Yeah, I I've even wondered, you know, as someone who is not a parent, when I when I read things or look at policies or workplace responses, you know, um by employees or media, I I've always said um, you know, the narrative, even for in service of parents, is often stuck at that baby toddler stage. You know, which is which is a critical one. But what about before and after that? And as you said, retirement isn't a straight. Uh, however, you just said that. you know, it's but all of these issues, all of these life spaces have really been siloed even when they are addressed or um left in one stage of that. And it's what I really appreciate about this book is even if you can't cover every single issue, you've done a great job of including a lot of um, wonderful writers and perspectives in this book. And it, it gives a framework to do that, to start thinking about for organizations to start or to have a way to continue differently of thinking about that. I think in a new way for a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, um, and I think that even touching on a lot of these, you know, I'll say unspoken or unacknowledged groups and unspoken issues, there there really are a lot of missing conversations. And so often, I don't know what, how, you know, I'd love to ask you looking at, you know, from where you started, I used to teach international HR management as well, and none of these things were on my radar or, or taught. And so I'm also very excited to see a text that can, a textbook that can be used in, in education, you know, that we're starting there. Um, but I, I'm curious how you have seen things change and not with the, um, evolution or, you know, work of DEI. I know you say EDI, um, in the UK and here, you know, um, DEI, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, accessibility, all of the spaces around that. Um, How, what have you really seen that bring about in HR management?
2: Um, I think there has been an evolution um, and looking at the kind of the well-being agenda alongside EDI, you know, we can see that there are a number of, of kind of large steps forward that have been taken, particularly in the UK context, which is the one that I'm, I'm the most familiar with. Um, so, you know, in terms of um, HR and well-being agendas, there's a big shift to acknowledging mental health that at one point was kind of silenced, overlooked, and it was very much physical health um cancer was once not talked about you know the c word you mustn't mention cancer that is now very much kind of on the agenda um there's been huge steps forward in neurodiversity um and of most relevance to the book and for my work i suppose has been the menopause revolution we are calling it a revolution you know a huge amount of public interest Um the uk government has you know got a women's health agenda and that was very much targeted we must must look at menopause must look at menopause in the workplace and we have a, a menopause employment champion now in the UK who's really kind of trying to make sure that all organisations, even small businesses, have resources. Um, and some of the topics that I am researching, so particularly um, pregnancy loss, you know, I've seen quite a big step up in interest in that from organisations because it's kind of, a, you know, it's, it's similar. There's a lot of campaign work and it's linked. Um, menstrual health is starting to have more of a, a, a pick on the agenda. Um fertility treatment less so I think it's a bit more um sort of behind the time but I'm, I'm hopeful that because of the progress we're making on other fronts that that there will be some more interest um but you know my PhD was on solo living single people I've been you know trying to get people to speak about that and there's been far less interest in that childlessness uh, you know there might be policies on fertility treatment and pregnancy loss you know which which might be part of a pathway to childlessness but um the, you know, the, 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 not necessarily, I don't see, i have not seen as much interest, as much um, targeted policies, provisions. You know, we, I, I've written journal articles where, you know, we're recommending that organisations take some actions, but we haven't really got those actions that have been tested to say, so <laughs> we're suggesting things that might be helpful, but what we need but, is that to be organisations to do it. And then some yeah. evaluation of what's, what's helpful and not.
1: Yeah, both. I'm curious, both within the work environment, And, you know, national policies that, um, you know, looking at things from kind of the top down or starting with the family and then from there seems to be there seems to be an opportunity to look at it really starting with the individual like we all have that in common. At, at some point, I mean, we, we come into the world as individuals and I don't mean in an individualistic way, but as individuals and particularly from your perspective of, um, you know, the life course, all of these different things that we live, and let alone how we live them differently and, in, and from different circumstances or within different circumstances, um, if we really looked at that and rolled it up into that, I, I mean, what do you think might be different? I mean, I think that's what you're getting at, you know, obviously, with your approach in this book. What what do you really hope um, or see as being influenced, you know, in terms of shifting that perspective as one as one angle?
3: I suppose
2: it's just ideally just opening people's eyes, um, people in decision-making
1: um,
2: positions in organizations, so HR departments, line managers in particular that, People's non-work challenges are diverse, and they will change over time. Um, mm-hmm. And that you know, we don't need to just go on what we've got a policy for um, when that policy is informed by what legislation says is a protected characteristic, or you know, issues that we should be considering. And just to, to talk, talk to your staff. You know, the demographics, of each workplace are going to be different. There might be staff networks. You know, try and say what are the issues that that are uh, are you know are common. You know, that you'd that you'd like to see some awareness raising about. And uh, what policies can we put in place that will benefit everybody? You know, flexibility, right. things like, you know, job crafting, you know, things that, that could could be used by anybody without it having to be just because you're a parent or just because right. maybe you've got a disability or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, um, uh, you know, we definitely advocate for that um, through the Institute for Universal Policy and not in the sense of sameness, but... That's equal and equitable space where then people can decide or however your life and circumstances and choices and non-choices play out, you you have that benefit or the space to do that. And I think a lot of time in HR, DEI, or just in the world, you know, we're sort of working by, by group and you know, what, what is now acceptable or who, who do we now include? When really it's it's always about all of us and in different ways. Thank you so much for that, Crystal. Um, when we come back, Rob, will will let you speak. <laughs> we'll hear from Rob. Um, so stay tuned and we'll be right back with Dr. Robin Hadley and Dr. Crystal Wilkinson. And we are talking about life work inclusion. We'll be right back.
3: Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
4: New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at newlegacyinstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today.
3: New Legacy
4: Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back everyone. Today we are speaking about um, life work inclusion and looking at employee experience not only from the diverse ways that we experience our life stages and circumstances um, but the whole spectrum you know of the time that we spend in employment or just just the range of people coming in at different places in their lives and how do we best include these in policy, in culture, for organizations. And we have the honor of speaking with Dr. Robin Hadley and Dr. Crystal Wilkinson today. And we've been discussing um, the new book that that Crystal co-edited. And Robin also um, contributed a chapter to this book. And as I uh, said earlier, he is a foremost expert on male childlessness. So Rob, do you want to share a bit about you know your your own work and research which, which has done so much for our community and for childless men bringing that issue really into rooms everywhere <laughs> which we uh, deeply appreciate and um yeah, what you want to highlight about w- why you contributed this and You know, just the acknowledgement, too, to you, Crystal, that it is included in this. I think that is a, that's significant in and of itself, that there is an HR textbook with a chapter on real childlessness.
5: Absolutely, yeah. So, well done, Crystal, for uh, getting me to work (laughs) and uh, and, uh, uh, write a chapter, because I'm really good at not working Uh, (laughs) and drifting off, Uh, so... (laughs) Congratulations on your HR skills in getting <laughs> me motivated. Uh, why I uh, really got into this is uh, it's all about me, uh, really. I was. What we really, like to
1: hear. Nice.
5: Yes, it's all me, 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 me. <laughs> um, yeah, in my 30s, I was really broody uh, to become a dad and didn't become a dad for circumstance, uh, lots of circumstances, really. And a lot of people don't become parents through circumstance rather than through uh infertility but they're not uh got the quite the same profile as that medical clinical uh driver and uh media coverage and uh well I I started training as a counselor I did an MA and had to uh, do something to experience. And I said, you know, I was really brooding my 30s. And uh, my supervisor said, well, I've never heard anything about that. Do that. And that's when I found out there's really nothing about, like, the men's experience, what they felt, what they thought around childlessness and uh, particularly about wanting to be a dad. Um, Not only were there not the the personal stories, but there weren't any sort of structural or academic things around it. Lots around women and uh, what that meant for women and the good things and the bad things and everything in between in different positions. But for men, it was not that much. So I was really interested in that. So I interviewed some men ar- around that, and the, the great thing for me was I found out I wasn't the only one who was really, really mm-hmm. broody.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
5: And so that, so that was good. And then they did a MA, an MSc looking at levels of broodiness to find out whether actually that, sort of myth that women are brooding men aren't bothered was mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. There's just not much science around that although pew research science uh, center has just come up with something around that you know a few years late guys but you know crack on uh well done for catching me up oh that's <laughs> that's so big headed isn't it i'm sorry <laughs> um, Robin,
1: I, I always uh, i'm always going to ask you this especially for the you know for um Listeners who might not know the exact context of broodiness, um, do, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Because I know it's in you know your t- your titles and things like that, and it's so apt. But it's um, in here in the in the U.S. It's not always even within research. Right. It's not a, a a common term that leads at, to the degree that you use it, and that it is in other places. So I've okay. always wanted. I I always forget to ask you that. So do you mind?
5: No, it, it's fine. And now I've now got to invent a definition on the hoof. <laughs> it's the emotional uh, and structural desires around wanting to become a parent. Okay. So everything around that. So there are structural desires, you know, uh, what society expects of you. So when I was, I'm 64. And so when I uh, was growing up, the expectation is, as it is with a lot of, Men and women, you know, I was going to leave school, uh, get a job, get married and become a parent. Okay, so that's sort of structural thing. But then there's the emotional side of it as well, uh, driven from inside, like a biological urge that is expressed through sensation, but also through thought. So that's that's the broodiness, the desire to be a parent in all its uh, spectrums that that cover.
1: Uh, Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And, you know, discussing it as a structure as well, because I think, you know, uh, sometimes it's just words like broody, moody, you know, and it can be passed off as kind of a singular um, element of that. So thank you for that.
5: Uh, That's fine. And yes, I find that if that was true, that women were broody and men weren't bothered and found out it wasn't uh, true. but. It's really interesting why societies don't want to hear around about the male side of that things. And is it just linked to uh, society doesn't want to see men as being vulnerable? And certainly men don't want to be seen as being uh, vulnerable. And that causes all sorts of issues related to health and mental health and physical health. And for employers as well in the sort of backwash in men's attitude to work that they will do dangerous things and risky things, which may not benefit the employer in the short or the long term. And then I did a PhD looking at older childless men and their journeys to childlessness and the impact of childlessness. And through those conversations, uh, when Crystal asked me to write a chapter around, i we done a research project together on the complex fertility journeys. I came in a little bit that she asked me to um, do a chapter for her. And I could just pick up what the men were, were saying around that about being in work and how um, the social narratives are around uh, pregnancy, fatherhood, motherhood parenthood and family and if you're not in those what that meant to you so one of the guys I was spoken to my MA said the social expectations are media expectations but when one doesn't fit in those expectations then one doesn't fit so there's a sort of outsiderness so although you're in an organization no matter how big or small you're an outsider but inside and that sort of led into what another guy said people kids who haven't got have just got no conception of how alienated people like me feel. people just talking you know at work, they talk about their kids, they talk about their experiences, raising their family, all this stuff you know you don't know about, you're on the fringe, you have an experience that's alien to you, and another guy came up with it was a bit awkward at work sometimes when there was a collection and a card signing for someone who was having a baby that hurt and this was edward and he and his wife had been through ivf a couple of sessions of ivf and it hadn't worked it was an unwanted reminder and something that couldn't be said it was a minor annoyance when a colleague dropped their work to dash off for their kids at short notice the assumption was others picked up the work on top of their own So there's these uh, stories. I'll just go on to uh, another guy, Marcus, who was 33. And a couple of years earlier, he and his long-term girlfriend had uh, split up. And he was very sad because he hadn't realized, with the end in that relationship, he suddenly realized, actually, that's my chance of being a dad. Gone. But during that relationship, it's like, You had children, you got all sorts of flexibility in the shift. Less night shift, less weekend, you get the holidays. And that's like, yeah, I've got children. I've got to be off when they're off. It was the utter detriment of people without children. Uh, She was a healthcare professional, so it was all the crappy shifts. Apologies for that language. A ridiculous number of nights, Christmas, New Year's, everything else. And again, trying to have holidays. It was no way in school holidays. So there's all these sort of stories that popped up for the men that I was interviewing about something else, but fitted in with the themes of the book of who's not noticed and why aren't they noticed. Uh, Who's missing, I guess, is the thing. Mm -hmm. And all the men said, uh, I've always interviewed, always said there's something missing. There's something missing inside, but there's something missing outside. And one of the things missing outside is policy and recognition within not only work, but also government and all uh, that uh, sort of thing. So it's really interesting that uh, in most of the world, when a baby is born, the mother's fertility history is taken, but not the father's. So we have great stats on the levels of childlessness of uh, women very accurate. But for men, it's not so accurate. Mm-hmm. And and why is that? Because it's sort of, you do need to know, because children are a great social bridge. Uh, when they're young, you know, going to the doctors, mm-hmm. to schools, all those activities they do. And also later in life, when their parents are older, the children are very important when it comes to care. And that may not be direct care, but it may be negotiating with doctors or healthcare providers, and all those sort of elements. So, for older childless people, more likely to take be taken into uh, health care at a lower level of diagnosis and stay there for longer than somebody with children.
1: Um, thank you for that, Rob. Yeah, there, there are so many considerations and layers and contexts and circumstances, um, you know, within each group, let alone each of our lives, as, as we navigate, and particularly in the context of employment. How, how can employers best meet this? And what, is, what are the conversations necessary to shift this so that, you know, um, if childless men and, and people feel that, you know, they're navigating their own lives, let alone having within that context, having to feel it again in many ways, so much of it, you know, that you speak to around people with children in the workplace. I just think it's, it's ever present, you know, um, and it's not necessarily always conscious. It's not that people are trying to exclude people or or ignore. I, I think this has just really been a silenced, not visible community and conversation for so long that, you know, there's adaptation. We, we've adapted to it, <laughs> to be in the workplace. Other people have adapted from their perspectives. And I, I think everyone ends up losing in that way you know um there's not the the full connectedness that's possible and um all of the other things this can lead to that crystal mentioned and you did from you know just just emotional spaces and having to be manage that you know in the workplace to mental health issues to physical health issues not being able to express those things or be um, you know, just fully present because there's a, a guardedness or a, a, a vigilance, if you will, around, around those things when you don't feel included or that you truly belong in a place. So, uh, what's uh, from your perspective what do you think is most needed? For me, my mm-hmm.
5: perspective yeah, I think recognition is, is the big thing. Again, acknowledgement yeah. Um, that somebody may not have the uh, support around them and men in particular tend to have smaller social networks than women and uh, also because of the uh, masculine stereotypes that men occupy but also institutions occupy and promote as well that okay he doesn't have kids so he's, he'll be available Right. Um, uh, to do all those awkward things uh, or maybe that person has kids so we've got to protect them a little bit more we can't say mm-hmm. that so that recognition of that and I think it's a very subtle mm-hmm. and nuanced way of doing it because uh, as a childless man I'd certainly volunteer to do extra shifts and do stuff like that to liberate people who have kids you know it's it was there but sometimes that may not be to my own not so much benefit for my own well being.
1: Right, right.
5: To, to be doing
2: yeah. that. Yeah, that, uh, that, came across, sorry, that that came across in my my research on people who live alone. Um, you know, this kind of a lot of volunteering for the for the staying late and the working and the holidays and, and stuff. And it was really because they didn't think that their needs were legitimate. You know, oh I, I need to go shopping. Oh, I need to go to the gym. That's not the same as needing to go and collect a child. So mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and also that this really isn't managed well by most employers. It's because we're all sort of in this same soup of expectation or default expectation and ways of doing things. And I think it gets really difficult when it's person to person, even, you know, a lot of people without children in the workplace are asked to do not only extra things and time, but to swap out off days for a parent or all kinds of things that in an individual context, which makes it even more awkward. Um, Also, you know, the recent uh, media about at least here, well, in the UK too a bit, but um, just given the, the current economy and scaling back on benefits in organizations um, so many of those articles say, oh, but don't worry, you know, we're, we, we won't forget parents. We're prioritizing and we're doing more. And, and even sometimes around fertility, um, to what degree, I don't know, um, but which you mentioned earlier, Crystal. And I, I find that concerning in that, you know, really missing valuation, let alone acknowledgement of all employees. Because what is the message there? You know, if that's truly the corporate, you know, identity and culture and prioritization that you want, then you're saying something really specific to your employees. You know, so um, we're going to take, thank you for that, Rob. Um, We're going to take a short break and we will be back with Dr. Robin Hadley and Dr. Crystal Wilkinson. We're talking about life work inclusion and looking at, what employees truly need through the life course. We'll be right back.
3: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
4: New Legacy Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at newlegacyinstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today.
0: This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Um, if you've been tuning in, uh, I hope you're still here and listening to Dr. Robin Hadley and Dr. Kristen, Crystal Wilkinson. We were earlier talking about Chris names, and so then I, there I did it, Kristen. Um, I have to—I always have to make at least one name error in a show or it's not, it's not New Lakes Radio. So sorry about that, Dr. Crystal Wilkinson. And we are discussing life work inclusion and the light across the life course, which um, I'd love, I'd love you both to say a little bit more about that too. Um, and I know that you have some great recommendations uh, for organizations, for practitioners, and so maybe we can start there and continue from Rob what you shared about, you know, what is needed for childless men, and the, when you spoke to acknowledgement, recognition and the nuanced ways that might be necessary how to do that. Um, what what else would you want to speak to?
2: Um, well, I think we can speak to a number of things, like discrete activities that organisations can take. And I'm using childlessness as the specific example here. But what we found in the book, like the conclusion of the book, is sort of implications for practitioners from insights across the book. And a lot of the same things are coming up time and time again. Um, and I think we're moving away from the idea that you need a policy on everything. Uh, and you need, you know... Um, you know particular complex decisions around a particular issue and um, it's more around um having that conversation in the workplace opening a narrative that people c- can connect to so when I was studying um, fertility treatment you know there's a lot of people that were saying you know I typed IVF into the company internet and there was no hits you know and it's kind of trying to avoid that that, that is, there's not issues that you just don't know whether you can talk about or not where you don't mm-hmm. feel as Rob said outside You know, that my issues don't belong. I can't talk about them. Nobody else is going through this. Um, It's silence. It's taboo. And so I think one of the very basic steps that any organisation, even tiny organisations with no resources can do, is just a bit of awareness raising. Um, And a lot of in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in America, but a lot of HR departments will have like um, a calendar of awareness weeks Mm -hmm. and awareness days. Um, Mm -hmm. whereby they'll put something on the internet or they'll do a blog post or they'll put a poster up or they'll organize a little tea or something you know and raise a bit of money signpost to a charity that gets the narrative started if someone types in into your internet there's probably at some point a blog post or a hit or something Mm -hmm. that you just signpost to external charities external organizations your your community and we've got world childless week
1: yeah, um, I know World yeah. Child this week has done, has done more on that, um, which has been really great, yeah, in companies and organisations.
2: Yeah, so, you, organizations. Yeah, so you, you don't need to be an expert, you know, HR the, the departments, have to be an expert in everything with a policy and everything. Line managers don't need to be experts in everything, but there's just something that you can signpost people to for more information. Yeah. Um, if there's sufficient levels of interest and you're talking to your staff, you're talking to any established networks that you might have, so a lot of companies will have networks, parents and carers, networks based on lgbtq plus um, networks on race networks on disability you know there's, there's collectives of people um you know you can sound them out about some of the issues you know and and are there any um issues that they think are missing um and are there any communities of people who might want to share the stories might want to write a blog might want to offer a bit of peer support to other people And you start to establish this this community that people can go and talk about that's in a bigger organization mm-hmm. um manager training and again manager training does not have to cover every issue um you know we don't need i don't think manager training on childlessness in the workplace you great if you're a big organization and you've got loads you know but have it in your well-being training have it in your edi dei whatever the letters, <laughs> the letters are um, training um you know where you're talking about non-work leads, use use some of your examples of a flexible working policy or giving somebody flexible accommodations not childcare reasons. You know, just use, subtly get these issues on there. If you're talking about mental yeah. health struggles, use somebody coming to terms with childlessness as an example of why somebody's struggling. And then you go through the same way that you would support anybody who was struggling with their mental
1: health. I love I love that um, offer. Uh, I think that's a great way to bring things into the room and into the conversation With, without... Yeah, I love that suggestion. That's great.
2: So it's, it's things like that. Um, you know, signposting to supports as well. So if you're acknowledging World Childless Week, you know, or something, then signpost to all the internal resources that you've got around mental health, that you've got around grief, that you've got around feeling lonely or isolated. You know, there might be employee assistance programmes, there might be counselling services, you know, things that you can make the connection in people's in everyone's mind, that that experience might make people sad, <laughs> make, make people depressed. <laughs> you know, so, so it's kind of, I think it's, it's, it's kind of pointing externally to the organisation, to specialist organisations, pointing internally to what resources we've got, making the connection mm-hmm. in people's head between some of these issues and identities that maybe weren't on our radars, Maybe we don't understand. Maybe we've not been through personally. And what it feels like, you know, that it might be linked to, to, to mental health, that it might be linked to um, I know, financial issues for some people on some of the, some of that stuff. So we know that like fertility treatment journeys, you know, that they can be incredibly expensive um, and, and things like that. So people can, your financial well-being can be a concern. And um, social well-being, you know, whether you feel an insider or an outsider, whether you feel you can, Bring your whole self to work, you know, all, all of it. Make, just make those connections with people. I think a lot of that is quite low cost. It's quite, you mm-hmm. know, easy. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, and, right. and I, I always come back to the fact that I was a HR practitioner, and none of this was on my radar. I, I don't, I don't blame anybody for not having thought about it. You know, right. I think it's, it's, yeah, but it's not. In, I don't think mm-hmm. it's intentional. um But I think we've made huge progress on a lot of issues. Of suddenly, wow, we're talking about menopause. Wow, we're talking mm-hmm. about non Next, mm-hmm. wow. Let's talk about childless and single people, and you know, different than the next thing that that we, that we can start. Um, yeah,
1: and I people. and I, I love what comes out of a lot of this is, or, or you know, depending on the approach, is communities that are you know making so much headway around workplace um, uh, circumstances and, and policies as needed. Uh, usually it comes that we all come out ahead for them, you know, um, with them, with these changes, the disability community has done so much in this way. Um, Things that they're highlighting about um, disability, neurodivergence, if you, if you, or diversity, if you look at, at those things, even someone might not be aware they need that, or it's a part of that that changes and it helps other people. And I think that's, uh, partly what you're speaking to in this approach. I think there's that, um, what you spoke to, Rob, that that need for acknowledgement. You know, I think it, all employees need to be valued. Our lives need to be valued yeah. and and seen in that identity space. And then that real humanity of things that lead to grief. I mean, certainly we can have different experiences, but we can understand a space of grief or financial concern or the things that you mentioned, Crystal, that I think really humanizes and connects us or potentially does differently than yeah. when, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I was
2: speaking to somebody who's talked about menopause, you know, and more mm-hmm. places around menopause, um, and she was saying that, you know, if... So, uh, adjustments reasonable adjustments um or accommodations flexibility of, of how what you where you work how you work if that was available to everybody and everybody routinely took up it it would benefit even the groups that that we are doing provisions for so yes so we know we know there's a huge body of literature that there is a motherhood penalty you know and that there are people are you know disadvantaged for taking flexible working for parental reasons because they're not as visible in the office, maybe, you know, people think they're not committed. Um, so, you know, I think if we extend what we offer to parents to everybody and we encourage everybody to take it, then it helps the parents as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, they're, yeah. they're, not, oh, they're, they're, take, they're taking this stuff. I, so I think if, it, it, it's a no brainer, it's in everyone's interest.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's our well. perspective as well. And I think there are just so many, um, you know, sort of uh, mythical, um ideas around you know that if we do something for one group then it's going to take away from the other um and you know i think that actually discussing these things only in siloed ways is what does that it separates and it it has organizations looking at full resources for each of these um not that long ago in california they were discussing a um a paid leave act and to include people without children and not, not in that specific language, but to, to include, include us. And it didn't get passed. And the reason given, well, a few, few um, proposals have gone through like this, not only in California, but in the U S the, the reason cited is because of the potential legal costs to companies. Now, I listened to that and I think, okay, but there are always, first of all, we're a highly litigious society. So like, they're, like that is an inevitable part of doing business here, sadly. But and any lawsuit is, is possible when you have non-discrimination laws and you don't recognize that or you're doing things that infringe upon that, right? But I, I sat there and I thought, well, how, how should these groups feel? about that, that this wasn't passed because of litigation, A, that didn't happen because we don't even have the right yet. And that it's okay to fund litigation for some people. I mean, if that's their perspective, but not other groups to take that risk. And I I just think we're isolating things to the nth degree. And at least in the U.S., that, that is the approach, you know, to any issue, to political issues. We're going to talk about abortion, not the medicines needed or other treatments or who is impacted. We're going to focus on these yes and no, right and wrong, good and bad things. And I, I would really, you know, we really need to shed some of that. When we talk about inclusion in the workplace, because if we do that, none of us are going to be well served, really. I mean, do I think that parents in the U.S. should be fighting for um, paid leave for 30 years? No. <laughs> do I, you know, I also think that what about the idea of privacy and not having to explain? Sometimes people have have the time and they don't take it because they don't want to identify with that. They don't want to share their health issues or their mental health issues or their IV journey. And should they have to, to be able to take time? I mean, giving that across the board and people doing what they need to do with that is, you know, really a, a respecting an autonomy and rather than a, that power differential of sort of um, micromanaging people, I think, and, you know, thinking that people are always going to cheat the system or, you know, we need to move past this somehow.
5: Yeah, I think it's really ties in with the reproductive stratification that uh, Shelley Cullen did way back in uh, 1995. It's shades of that coming around yeah. again. I think it's really important that recognize the demographic change that's happening yes. and the increase yes. in the childless cohort and the reasons for that, not just mm-hmm. biological, but right. social. So um, you can be a parent live on the other side of the country effectively you're childless.
1: Mhm. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a really great point. I mean there there's so many things to it that um it, that impact all of us and you know in the in the very least case it's it's not a good business model. <laughs> you know, I mean I have to say that let alone, you know, the well-being of everybody in your organization and if in this today it's not recognizing and meeting the world as it is and how we need to treat each other not only humanely and beyond tolerance but in a way where everyone can breathe fully and show up fully in the workplace and i really i think that your book and your approach really speak to this so thank you for writing it um i hope people access it and that HR departments start teaching it tomorrow. Um, It is a framework to start with and we go from there. So any last words from either of you? Thank you so much for being here today. This has been really wonderful.
5: Yeah, thank you. It's been really enjoyable.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for tuning in today. And if you have any questions or follow up to this conversation, please just join us on any of our platforms or reach out. And we look forward to being with you again next week. Take good care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to New Legacy Radio. We hope this show has given you thoughtful context and insight to better connect with our community. For more information about the Institute or to share your questions or comments, find us on any of our social media platforms or simply go to newlegacyinstitute.com. New Legacy Radio, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.